Ephesians 4, 11 through 16, Acts 2, 41 to 47, Isaiah 9, and then all of Romans 12. I would, I would just absolutely love that. And the reason for that is, is that it makes no sense for us to meet on a Sunday morning. None. If what goes on in here doesn't translate to out there, it makes no sense. It makes no sense for me to stand up here and talk to you about certain things. If what's going on in the scriptures is not happening in my life. Same things with you guys. The representation of the church is more so seen outside of these walls than inside. Amen? Anybody here today? Amen? Head nodders, I see you. And the reason for that is, is it's very easy. I'm repeating myself here. You've heard me say this stuff quite a bit. It's very easy for us to love one another inside the, the church walls when we all agree. But when we go outside, are we representing Christ well in that? There's something that I'm going to get at this morning that has to do with inside the walls. I feel like the Lord's been taking us to a deeper level of love inside the walls of not only Easis, but hopefully other churches around Fort Collins. I made this statement at the last part of service, uh, first service, I'm going to make it at the beginning part now, today, saying that oftentimes we have, a, we have an issue with loving one another. We do. And then we want to go outside of the walls and tell the church, excuse me, tell the lost that we love them. When we don't even have a good representation of what that is from person to person. Now, I'm not saying that that's how we operate all the time. Because, Kayla, you do a good job of loving everybody. Just everyone. You guys haven't gotten a piece of Kayla, you need to get a piece of Kayla. You will probably get a piece of Kayla without asking for it, okay? Because she just knows how to bring that. See, I'm not saying that we're all in this place where we have this issue of learning how to love within the church. That's not it. However, the genuineness and the depth of that, I think the Lord has taken us down there. Amen? To a place where, yes... It may be just a little bit uncomfortable. So as we've stepped into chapter 13 of the book of Romans, Paul gets off of 11 chapters of doctrine, tells us how we're supposed to live in chapter 12, and then his opening statement in these, these uh, opening verses of chapter 13, he says, be in subjection to the government, to governing authorities. Which, to be honest with you, for the younger generation is like, no. I'm not going to do that. I'm going to do everything I can to make sure that I protect my freedom. But there's some statements that I made last week that I want to help us out in bringing us to verses 8, 9, and 10 today. Preached a message last week called, Act as a Free Man. See, there was this moment that if you know Christ, there's this moment of salvation that, ladies and gentlemen, was a train wreck. It was a train wreck. When you met Christ for the first time, it was a train wreck. It was messy, and it was messy for a good reason. You see a pull up a video on YouTube of a train wreck, <laughs> it doesn't look good, all right? But what I'm talking about is there was a nature in me that was of the flesh that met the nature of the spirit. And when those two things collide, man, that's a train wreck. My nature, as it's... I guess, more well uh, explained in the seventh chapter of, of Romans when Paul talks about his two natures. He's going back, between, going back and forth between two natures. 
I have a nature, you guys have a nature that's of the natural. But when you accept Christ into your life because we've been made in his likeness, we also have a supernatural nature. He wants us to operate in the supernatural all the time, 24-7. Do you hear me when I say that? The moments we step outside of that, it's just not good. But at that train wreck of salvation, when you ask the Lord into your life for the first time, your two natures are now at war because there's a flesh and there's a spirit. And I made this statement, you're going to serve one of them. We're going to serve one of them. Like there's no in between. I think that's, that's, that's kind of maybe a place where there's a little bit of friction and, and gray area in the church is that we want a third option. We want a, oh, I kind of want to serve the flesh over here, and I kind of want to serve the spirit over here, so I'm going to hang out right in the middle so I don't make anybody mad. The Lord spits out that's what is lukewarm. You know that? Scripture says that to us. He spits it out. Let's either be hot or cold, black or white, either or. So those two natures are now at war, and we're going to serve one of them. However, in that moment of salvation... Understanding, ladies and gentlemen, that we've been set free. Acting as a free man means that because of that moment, I now get to walk without the penalty of sin. That's freedom. The statement I made with that is that there's no authority, excuse me, there's no freedom without authority. I brought the analogy of this, this river. Alright? You ever stood in the Poudre River or a river or any river whatsoever? It's got some weight to it. Yeah, it should. It's thousands of gallons of water passing you. But you see this water flow freely down this river without being hindered by anything. But the governing authority for this river is the banks. And that's a good thing. The river's just going to be a river. Do you know that God is just asking you to be you? And what we read in the beginning parts of this chapter is he says that all authority comes from him. Therefore, the governing authorities that have been established were established by him. We looked at Romans 10, 9, where it says, when you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord, that's it. That's all you got to do. It's great. It's easy. But then after that, it says that those who believe in him will not be disappointed. So if all authority comes from his throne and everything that every person who's in a place of authority has been established by the Lord, I'm talking about the misuse of authority, I'm getting to that, then that means that if I believe in a God who's established authority even over my head, that that establishing of that authority was never intended to disappoint me. To never, I, he never intended for me to be a disappointed child. However, there is a misuse of authority nowadays. So I'm, I'm explaining to you verses 1 through 7 to get us to this verse 8, 9, and 10. The Lord never asked us to necessarily agree with decisions that people make that hurt us. But what he does ask us to do is to respect the fact that anything that is a governing authority has been established by him. And he has his children in mind. When he does that. He has you and I in mind. To be honest with you, it's more of the love story. Amen? So you guys chuckle with me so far up until now? So we'll, the, the, the title of this message, as I get back up on this pulpit and read these scriptures, it says, indebted to love. 
So we get done reading about this authority, which is still a word for some people that just kind of is like, oh, I don't really want to hear that. We get, talk, get done talking about authority in verse 1, where he says, be subject, in subjection to governing authorities. And then also verse 5, where he says it's a good thing, not only because of wrath, but because of conscience sake, to be in subjection to authority. The one little piece I want to hit before I jump into this is that verses 3, 4, and 5 speak directly to if he, if, excuse me, if we would just live our lives in a clean manner, then there's nothing we have to worry about. We're not going to buck authority because the truth needs no defending. Are you with me this morning? That's a big one. I think I might have forgot that first service in my recap. But think about that. The reason why we got to rub with authority is because we're trying to protect our freedom. But our freedom comes from Christ. So why would we need to protect our freedom if it already happened in a moment of salvation? We're already free, so act like it. Walk as a free man. Walking as a free man means, or a free woman, means trusting God completely, no matter what authority is over you. But to be in subjection to governing authorities, which was spoken in verse 1 and in verse 5, it could almost seem like what we're about to read in verse 8, 9, and 10 is a little bit of a, um, an opposite thought. But it's not. I want to make sure that as we go through these scriptures, we see how these things tie together and they're not in opposition of one another. It says this in verse 8. So we get that up on the screen. Owe nothing to anyone except to love one another. For he who loves his neighbor has fulfilled the law. For this you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet. And if there is any other commandment, it is summed up in this saying, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. If you've been with us for any amount of time, okay, <laughs> We've been talking about love forever, it seems like. You guys know that when you get up and you come to church, you come to Jesus, guess what? Pastor Square is going to say something about love. I keep reading this stuff, and part of me wants to be like, let's just go talk about something different, okay? But the reason why you see it all the time, everywhere, in every word, is because it is Christ who is love. That's First John. We'll get to that cross-reference here in a little bit. You can have every gift on this earth. You can walk in those giftings. You can be kind. You can be... Uh, let me just go down the list. But Scripture tells us without love, they mean nothing. The greatest of these is love. So if we talk about love from now to the time I get put six feet under... Or the, the Lord asks me to move on from this. I'm okay with that. Because it's that important. Do you hear me this morning? It's that important. To lead with that. But we see in those first seven verses, the, the Lord saying through Paul, you need to be in subjection to governing authorities. And then verse 8, he says, owe nothing to anybody. 
Now, those two statements to me seem a little bit contradictory, but they're actually not. When you break down and look at what owe nothing to anyone actually means, you would think after he says be in subjection to the government that we owe the government what? Time. We owe the government money. Not fun, right? But we would owe governing authorities um, just pieces of ourselves. And then there's a statement, owe nothing to anyone. What I appreciate is that when you look at this word in the Greek, it gives, it gives us how we're supposed to think about this in content and context. And the Greek word for this is ophilo. And here's what it means. It means to be in debt. That which is due, debt. Anybody in here ever been in debt? Hey, not fun. Do you know that you're in debt when you go to McDonald's for like 2.5 seconds? You order something, okay? You're indebted to them for ordering that, and now you got to put the card in, right? So for anybody in here to say, hey, I've never been in debt before, you've been in debt, okay? When you went to McDonald's, remember your pastor said that, all right? But a simple Webster definition of the word debt, which isn't a fun thing, it means the carrying of something that isn't yours. Intended, excuse me, with the intention to give or to pay back. So when we look at when it says, owe nothing to anyone, it says, don't be in debt. Don't carry anything. Don't be in debt to anyone. Don't have the responsibility of having to pay someone back. Are you guys with me this morning? Now, as we continue on this, this could mean more than money, right? I believe that he's speaking about money. But I believe that he's speaking about things that don't have any connection to money like what? Your conduct? Your attitude? How you might treat somebody in any given situation? Why? Because the very next statement talks about something that is an action. Are you with me today? It could be about money. It really could. He could say, do everything you can to pay people back because the goal is to carry no debt. And why is that the goal? I didn't have this in our bulletin, but it's Proverbs 22, 7. And I don't think we'll have it up on the screen. But this is what this says. This is why not carrying things is so important. That's why sometimes when I'm praying up here, that whatever you bring in here that you're carrying, man, I hope that you leave it at the front door. Or you put it at the, uh, the foot of the altar. But whatever the case is, I'm not saying don't come in here with your stuff. Don't hear me say that. I'm saying, look, those things that weigh you down, man, I hope you let the Lord get at you with those. And here's why. 22.7 says this. The rich rules over the poor, and the borrower becomes the lender's slave. Okay, that's scripture. You don't got to take my word for it, just read Proverbs 22, 7. The borrower becomes the lender's slave. You remember when I told you last week in the beginning of this message that you're going to serve somebody. I'm going to serve somebody. We're either going to serve Christ, or we're going to serve ourselves. When you are in debt and feel as though you owe somebody something, you are carrying something that is causing you to be a slave. Does that make sense? 
That's why that statement is so paramount. The Lord asks us to just let governing authorities be governing authorities. And to, uh, uh, to live in this lane of love because he's got it taken care of. What would hinder that? Man, the stuff that I carry. The stuff that I feel as though I'm in debt to. Oh, nothing to anyone. Have you ever said something to somebody and uh, owed them an apology afterwards? Because what you let come out of your mouth wasn't exactly above reproach or above board or was very uplifting or anything like that. For me, man, I, I carry that stuff heavily. And it affects the way that I handle people afterwards. We can look at Romans 12, um, verses 12 through the end of the chapter, 14, excuse me, Romans 12, verses 14 through the end of the chapter. That chunk of scripture talks about how we're supposed to be in conduct with one another. It says, bless those who curse you. It says, weep with those who weep, uh, rejoice with those who rejoice. That's not a natural thing. It really isn't. I was telling this uh, to some people last service that for whatever reason, when I was young, I lost the ability to feel emotions. I just lost the ability to cry. Things were just like, look, I'm good. You do that to me, I'm not going to have any kind of emotional reaction to it. I just am not going to go there. And then I get baptized, and my dad's looking me in the face while he's you know, doing his thing, and he says, the Lord's going to return to you a spirit of sensitivity. I was like, oh, great. Now I got to carry around tissues all day. Now I'm going to cry over everything. The piece of paper on the floor, like, oh, he wants to be with his friends. You know? Emotions for me are things that, man, I got to do. I have to make sure that I don't react out of them. Because they're sens it, it, I'm just a sensitive dude. Emotions are not something that are bad. Let me just say that. But when they lead, man, they can destroy some things. They really can Again, Romans 12, 14 through 21 teaches us how to deal with those. But this whole issue as we bring this back to owe, owe somebody nothing is in my conduct, am I treating somebody in a fashion that would cause me to have to come back and owe them, hey, I did it wrong. That's not a bad thing. But hey, if we can move from that, and we can just simply love one another, Oh no man, nothing. So if you do owe them, go ask for apology. Excuse me, go say you're sorry. If you do owe something, go take care of it. Just don't carry that, because what does it do? It stinks us up. I'm on this whole owing debt thing, because the next part of the scripture is an action. The next part of the scripture in its action, has to come from a posture of heart. Does that make sense this morning? Owe nothing to anyone. Except, oh, you mean there's one thing? There's one thing that I do owe somebody? There's one thing that I am in debt for? To love one another. That's it. The only thing that I owe you is to love you. Definition of love. What is that? Do we define that or do we let the Lord uh, define that? Go 
Go back and, look, and read all of Romans 12, and it'll give you a pretty good definition of how to act towards one another. But it says to love, to love, to love, to love. But what does that word love actually mean? This word in the Greek is agapeo. It's not agape, but it's agapeo. I don't even know if I'm saying that right. But the last time we saw this same translation of this word in Romans was Romans 8.28, which is a pretty famous verse. And it says this, And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God. Man, there are things, sometimes things going on in my life that I'm like, there's no way. There's just no way that any good could come from this. But this scripture says to me that he causes all things, not some things, but all things, to work. That means flow freely together for the good, not the bad, not for calamity, but for success of those who love agapeo, God. If you read backwards through that statement, it says those who love God are a beneficiary of these things. But that word love in there, agapeo, it's the same word. It says this. It says to welcome, to entertain, to be fond of, and to love dearly. So, if I put that back in there, those who welcome God, entertain God, are fond of him, and love him dearly, those are the ones he causes everything to work for the good. Are you with me this morning? That same translation is in verse 13. Excuse me, chapter 13. He says, except to love one another. I don't owe you anything. Nothing. You don't owe me anything. If you owed me money, just pay me back. All right. We'll sweep that underneath the rug. Except to welcome you, to entertain you. I may not have to entertain what you're doing, but to entertain you because Christ had you on his mind when you were knitted together in your mother's womb. Yeah. To entertain the fact that you live and you breathe and you are a human being. To welcome that. To entertain that. To love dearly and to be fond of. I don't owe you anything except those things right there. No matter what you come in here with, I have no right to be unkind to you. Because of what I perceive or my opinion or anything like that. Are you with me today? So, this, this issue. Again, I'm not saying that. It's a huge issue in this body, but I believe that the Lord is going to take us deeper, is taking us deeper in what it means to love one another, according to what these scriptures are saying. Now here is the next part of this. Uh, for he who loves his neighbor has fulfilled the law. How often do we, do we try to be law-abiding citizens? Hopefully, more often than not, right? Do we like to be law-abiding Christians? Law-abiding followers of Christ? Do you know he never asked you to be a law-abiding Christian? He never did. He asked you to be the, act, the exact representation of him. That's it. He didn't say, go to church every Sunday, go to that Bible study on Wednesday, and if you can, get to that first part of the worship practice on Thursday, See, those things, when we bring it into this, I'm just trying to be a law-abiding Christian, we forget about the back half of the first part of that verse. Love. When I'm 
trying to be righteous without love, it destroys people. Because I am so much about the letter of the law that I forget that Jesus Christ is the law. Are you with me this morning? Owe nothing to anyone except to love one another. For he who loves his neighbor has fulfilled the law. My motivation is for us to take the loving one another and move it from a complex idea to a simple, simple action. Again, to welcome, to entertain, to be fond of, to love dearly. I remember using some scripture in Matthew 20, excuse me, 22, 15 through 22, as the Pharisees are talking to Jesus, and they said, is it lawful to pay a poll tax? So Jesus says, give me a, give me a, a, a denarius, a denaria, whatever it is. He says, whose likeness is on this? Who is this? It's Caesar. Well, give to Caesar what's his, but give to me what's mine. We are made in the likeness of God. We are made in the image of Christ. So we render to what Christ, we render to Christ what is his, which is all of us. But if we are also, in addition, made in his likeness, 1 John 4, 20 through 21 says this, you cannot love God and hate your brother. See, if we are in his likeness, if we are who, if we are a representation of who he is, this action should come out of us. And this action should come out in a way that is led by him and not by our own emotions. Amen? Again, 1 John 4, 16 says this, God is love. So if we were made in his likeness and God is love, then what's our purpose and function with each other? It's to love one another. Oh, no man anything except to welcome, to entertain, to love that person. And watch the rest of this take place, or excuse me, watch the rest get taken care of by Christ. Now, when we talked about debt, being in the definition of the word O from the Greek, a debt is something that what you want to pay off. I would hope so. I mean, the scriptures telling us don't owe anybody anything. If you're in debt to something, I would urge you to do the best you can just to pay that off. And at the end of that, you can not carry whatever it is that that is. But do we realize that this love that we owe one another is not something that he's asking us to pay off? Here's why I, I got to get kind of serious with us today. Are you just loving from, nine, from 10.45 to like 12.15 or 12.20? And then you say, I did my duty on a Sunday morning. Or I did my duty at work. Or I did my duty in this certain situation, time frame. And I'm good now. So I can kind of go back to how I was dealing with things, imprisoning myself in my safe haven. See, this debt is not something that we can pay off when it, when it comes to love. It's something that God is asking us to step into. Christ is saying, this is a command 24-7. And you will, I hope, I want to say this in a good way, fall flat on your face trying to do it. 
Like, be exhausted loving one another. Amen to that. Be exhausted trying to help your fellow brother and sister in Christ. Now, the Lord would say that, you know, he's our provision, and it's not something you would necessarily get exhausted doing, but you get where I'm going with that. Fall flat on your face, taking you off or out of the focal point in putting Christ's children, your, I mean, even people sitting right next to you, and serve. Put them right in the middle and serve. That's the whole point. Are you with me this morning? You shall not commit adultery. You shall not murder. You shall not steal. You shall not covet. And I love this part. And if there is any other commandment, it is summed up. Here's the culmination. Here's the biggest one. In saying, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Why? Because this type of love does no wrong. I like that. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, that's a command. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. So we're indebted to love. Like, you wake up in the morning, you go to the grocery store, and somebody cuts you off with the cart, and in the back of your head, you're like, mm, okay, I'll get you on aisle three. You got me on aisle one? I'll get you on aisle three. Now, see, you're indebted to love that person. <laughs> It's a very surface level analogy. But when somebody who is a blood relation to you does something to you that hurts you, you're indebted to love that person. Let's take it to the other side of the spectrum. Are you with me today? We're indebted to that. That's the title of the message. Not only act as a free man last week, but we owe people Christ's love. My appeal to you this morning would be to spend it. Spend what's in you. That moment of salvation, you have Christ in you. Now go spend him. Sometimes we say, I don't want to give too much of myself to someone else because they might take advantage of it. Christ ain't asking you to go spend yourself. He's, going, he's asking you to spend that which he has put in you, that which he is doing through you, through the gifts that he's put in you. Go spend that. Amen? Amen. So, um, sometimes, I've told you guys this before, that uh, the Lord will change the message on Sunday mornings. I'll spend all kinds of time preparing, getting things ready, and then the moment I stand up here, he's like, you know what, Boop. guess what, I'm going to have you talk about something different. Um, what I so appreciate is that Beck and I work so well together. That this morning, as I was trying to get through the last half of this message, I just don't think I have it. And you guys, you guys can go ahead and we can. We're not going to do that quite yet. Um, uh, I don't think I have the last half of the message, and that's okay. Uh, I, I mean, I'm not worried about that. I'm worried about you guys getting scripture. But I think what's on Beck for the for the closing of this is, um, the, I just think the Lord the Lord gave it to him. Um, and I have no problem kind of stepping to the side and saying, brother, go ahead and swing. So that's what this is. I'm going to let Beck kind of close this thing because um, what's on him for this, I think, is appropriate for, for this moment. So you can do offering all this stuff. Yeah. Okay. 
For this you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet. There's a lot of thought in the church today and and numerous teachings about the difference between the Old and the New Testament. Why does God seem so violent and even mean in the Old Testament? And when Jesus comes, it's like, man, that... That's a lot better version of, of, of the God I want to serve. That's like the cool part of heaven. In order to accurately and appropriately understand the scripture, church, you have to understand something about God. If you are perfect, in order to maintain your perfection, you mustn't change. If God is perfect, then there is nothing about himself or his character, his state of mind, that can alter, because that would imply, therefore, one of two things. Either he wasn't perfect before and is now perfect, or he was perfect before, and because of his change, he is less perfect. Neither of these things are true. The Old Testament is is a story of Jesus without using his name. And if you become a student of the Old Testament, you realize that the Old Testament is the New Testament concealed. It's the same story, the same character of Christ. And the New Testament isn't different from the Old Testament. It's what the Old Testament had been talking about all along. You see, they're connected. Like separate chapters of the same book. Different information, but the tenor of the story, the direction, and the vision is heading the same way all along. This is proved in the life of Christ, and um, I'm kind of going off the top here. Let's go to Matthew 5 real quick. I'm going to just take just a few seconds of your time to to bring this home, and the closing of this will, will be really fast. Matthew 5. I really hope I got that right. It's a big Bible. Hard to find stuff. You guys will know what I mean. Because for those of you that are using your app, I envy you. Matthew 5. Yeah, this is right. Let's go to verse uh, 17. This is Jesus speaking. He says, uh, we'll start in 16. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. This is Jesus himself teaching. And he says in verse 17, Do not think that I came to abolish the law or the prophets. I did not come to abolish the law, but fulfill. The law that was given to the Moses in the Old Testament, the Ten Commandments, was this picture of what it was like to be the very minimum of what it meant to be in Christ. The problem was, we believe even today, as the Jews did back then, that if I could just attain that, I would deserve heaven. The message of the Old Testament and the Ten Commandments was never one that we were ever able to do so. It is believed that if I could just do these things right, that I would then deserve or earn heaven. If you did all of them to perfection, your nature would still be sinful. Such as a result is this. There is no work on the earth good enough to deserve heaven. Not a work. Heaven is not received by what you did or did not do, but by faith. 
and you would receive this life given by God to you by faith, it says you are made anew. The old thing is passed away, the dead sinful nature, and a new thing has come. And the new thing is now able to fulfill the perfect nature of the law. See, the Old Testament and the Law of the Prophets, the Ten Commandments, wasn't talking about the rules of life. It was describing to the people their need for Jesus. It made it ever more apparent. This is the law, and I am so incapable. What then must I do? And the Lord Jesus comes, and he says, the only way to fulfill the law is to accept me into your heart, is to believe by faith. Later in, I believe it's Matthew... uh, Matthew 22. Let's go go to Matthew 22. I'm almost done. We're going to wrap this up really quick. Matthew 22, just after what Alex was talking about earlier. Oh no, I'm going to have to really read fast. Tribute to Caesar. There it is. This is the commandment that, that Paul is referencing here. You shall love the Lord your God. Matthew 22, verse 37. And he, this is Jesus, said the commandment... Um, let's start in 36. This is a question asked by the Pharisees to the, to, um, the Lord Jesus. Teacher, which is, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Talking about the Ten Commandments. And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and foremost commandment and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. These two commandments depend uh, the, uh, the whole law and the prophets. Depend on the whole law and the prophets. All is fulfilled in the love of Christ because the love of Christ is the only thing capable to fulfill the law. So what is this for us today, church? To look at this scripture like Paul is giving us a list of commandments. You can't commit adultery. You can't murder. You can't steal. You can't coven. Isn't a list of things to do. It's to further explain our need for God. Not for us. If the only way to fulfill the law is not any love of our own, but to die to ourself, to give up of our flesh, and let the Lord yield to him and let his love work in and through us, and as a result, he doesn't do something new. He does what he's been talking about all along, to fulfill the law. The very Ten Commandments that we talk about all the time are an attainable thing in the practical way of life, but only by the power of God. And as a result, when we grow in Christ and we learn and we're able to be corrected and we study the Word of God and we listen to our elders and we receive rebuke and we find repentance and we confess our sin and we grow in the Lord, the very output of our life will not look just like what we don't do. We don't sin, we don't lie, we don't cheat, but it will begin to look like somebody that we are, an image bearer that is Christ himself. I pray for this church not to be defined in today's culture by what we aren't. We don't party, we don't drink, we don't blah, blah, blah. But instead, I pray that we would be defined and resemble a, a church that is, that is a demonstration of who we are in Christ. And chiefly among them, I pray that we would demonstrate this life of Christ by how we love one another. And that we would owe nothing to each other but that. Does that make sense, church? We are sent to fulfill the law. 
But the law is only achieved by faith. We're going to bring up our offering here. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up. Here as we finish. Here. There's a point that Alex made in the first service, and again he touched on today, that I think is so foundational, um, pivotal for us today. And that is this. We don't get to our practical, we don't get to a spiritual type of living through a practical avenue. We don't do things, go to church, read your Bible, and some way attain some spiritual um, understanding or deepening. Instead, we must realize that we are spiritual beings. We are eternal in our soul and in our spirit. And as if we perceive ourselves in that way, all of a sudden there's a bridge to the practical through the spiritual, not the other way around. If you will, it's a one-way street. We don't get to the way of life we've desired by doing a bunch of stuff. We get to the life of Christ that we envy for by yielding to the Spirit of God and letting ourselves be transformed by Him. And as a result, the practical end of our life demonstrates such. We're going to talk about that here in just a second, but I want to, I want to take up the offering. Won't you pray with me? Lord, I thank you for today. I thank you for the offering and for those of us in this room that are asked by you to give. I pray that no one would give out of compulsion or religion or um, some, some belief that it's going to help them out. But instead, I pray that they would ask you, should they give? And that they would ask you, how much, Lord, should I give this day? And that it would be an act of faith and obedience and that you would reward that act. Not by compulsion, Lord, or by tradition or by religion. We pray and believe these things in the name of Jesus. And everyone said, Amen. Okay, last thing um, that I would have for you guys today or to bring to the table as we talk about loving one another is such a powerful and important thing. But beyond just the concept of love, there is a practical application of it, is it not? You know, this past week, in Florida, there was yet another tragedy. And I said to the Lord, Lord, how many times am I going to have to get up on a Sunday morning and say, what a sad thing. How many times in the church are we going to pray in the aftermath of tear and not before it ever happens? submit to you this. We have been dealing with the issues in our country and in our community and in ourselves in a far too practical a way. The issue that we saw last week, you need to hear me, is not political. It is not a result of mental illness. It is not a result of poverty or uh, misappropriated funds. It is not a responsibility of television or the education system or guns. Listen, there is an issue with the heart of man. And it is a vile and sinful thing. We must understand that. And that the only true answer is to take this situation at its root. And that is the sin nature in our flesh. And you say, well, what can we do? What do I do with somebody who's so, who's so far away? 
I pray that today that you'd be strengthened by this notion that there were 12 young, sinful, knucklehead men who believed by faith, not by their education or their financial arrangements or their political enterprise. They had a notion that God was good and that God was among them and God would work through them and that He had a plan. And that they would trust God by faith to demonstrate that plan and that love in their very community. You don't affect Florida by having to go to Florida. You affect Florida. You affect the, the other nations and other schools that have had to deal with a tragedy like this by dealing with your own heart and saying, Lord, I repent of my sin. Now send me into my community. Send me into my workplace. Send me into my school. Send me amongst my friends to boldly preach the gospel. To tell the truth to people. To share in a love that is the only way we will be redeemed. Twelve men believed that about 2,000 years ago and we are reaping the benefits of that faith today. Don't tell me the world can't be changed by this. And in fact, I'd say to you, tell me another way it's ever been changed. No more should we stand up and have to say how sad of a deal it was. Instead, we should grasp a hold of a hope that is a love that is spiritual and is practical at the same time and trust God with His plan and ask how do we be a part of it. You'll have to die to your flesh. You will. It will cost you everything and it will be worth it all. That is the life of Christ in you and that is how we change the world. Let's stand to our feet and pray this morning. For some of you, you've been living so far in the practical, you've totally misidentified your spiritual nature. And the Lord is calling you back to say, you know what, I need to put one before the other. I need to identify that I'm a spiritual being. And that there's a practical way to live this life, but not the other way around. I shouldn't get bogged down by my schedule and say I'm too busy to love, but instead, I should trust God all the more. For those of you that are conflicted or convicted by that, you want to, to rearrange your life away from just the practical and with the spiritual sprinkled into the other way around, I'd invite you to come to the altar and do business with the Lord. Just confess your sin. Say this is what you've done before Him. No one's going to mess with you. No one's going to ask you what happened. But just get right with the Lord in this way. And then I'd invite you to be strengthened with the community around you to go into your city, into your workplace, and begin to change the world by faith. Let's pray real quick. Lord, we just thank you for this time. We exalt your name. And know, Lord, that you are the only way. And everyone said, Amen. Enjoy the time of worship.